Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So... To this day, the most provocative thing ever written about abortion remains a Twitter thread from September 2018 by one Gabrielle Blair, a designer with a best-selling book about design. She posted to Twitter a mini masterpiece of polemical wisdom, the first incisive thing I'd read about abortion in maybe ever. Gabrielle started by saying, as a Mormon and a mother of six, that she's been listening to men grandstand about women's reproductive rights and what these guys call a genocide, and was convinced that men have zero interest in stopping abortion. What she went on to say is that to stop abortions, to prevent what they think of as a genocide, we have to stop unwanted pregnancies. Makes sense. And to do that, we have to stop men ejaculating inside women's bodies. And to do that, we have to either A, stop men from having sexual intercourse with women, okay, one option, or B, force men to wear condoms. Since A isn't going to happen— And in her experience, since B isn't going to happen either because of something to do with degrees of pleasure, and she gets pretty graphic about condoms and penises, Blair proposes a third option, C, mandatory vasectomies. Huh. What's awesome about vasectomies is that they cause no hormonal disturbance to the patient, and they're quick and easy and safe and also reversible in most cases. They take 10 minutes with no downtime to get and about the same to reverse. Blair continues her thought experiment. If we made vasectomies mandatory for all boys at 13 and reversible on demand, maybe with just a quick notarized letter from a partner saying they want to have a baby, just a kind of permission, then unplanned pregnancies would be reduced by, what, 90%? And no unplanned pregnancies, no abortions. And if Brett Kavanaugh or Mike Pence truly imagines a genocide of the unborn, surely they'd do anything to prevent it. And what a cool, easy solution. A 10-minute, mandatory, safe procedure for boys. But, and this is Blair's point. What if it's not a genocide that concerns them, but the ownership and extreme regulation of female bodies? This is the ownership that the anti abortion brigade of lawmakers and Supreme Court justices seems to be obsessed with. It's almost like they'd choose that genocide they're worried about any day over a minor inhibition of male sexuality. But when they see a chance to inhibit female sexuality and health and well-being and liberty and pursuit of happiness and freedom, 
they're suddenly shouting about totally irrelevant fictions of dead infants, a macabre image they conjure out of thin air and then perseverate on. But that would be extraordinarily cruel, vicious, Taliban-like logic. So it can't be that. I mean, this is a liberal democracy, right? It couldn't be that they're thinking that. Surely, if someone gets this Gabrielle Blair vasectomy argument, they must be Oh, never mind. Last week, we heard two grueling hours of exchanges among Supreme Court justices and lawyers for a Mississippi abortion clinic. The clinic was challenging a new state law banning abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. The zealous, mostly conservative court appeared eager, champing at the bit, really, to uphold the Mississippi ban— Only the Chief Justice, John Roberts, hesitated a bit, lingering on the idea of 15 weeks as maybe an arbitrary line for deciding before and after. The rest of the conservative judges, that's Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, those are the ones Trump pushed through, each in their own outlandish and barely legal way, along with Alito and Clarence Thomas, whose own notorious confirmation hearings were rife with misogyny and raised serious questions about his capacity to think clearly about women's issues, the rest of them seemed ready to sign off with a flourish on the Mississippi law, and they grandstanded on abortion in nonsensical ways, even as the lawyers who opposed the ban as unconstitutional made point after reasonable point. So it was kind of a shit show, and remember— Most Americans support a woman's right to choose. Most people left believing that the conservatives are gunning to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which gives women the right to privacy around decisions about their pregnancies. It was really a dark day. My guest today to discuss the implications of last week's hearing is Carrie Baker. She doesn't advocate for vasectomies, but she has some on-the-ground ideas about what can happen if and when Roe bites the dust, including some creative solutions like abortion pills. She's a professor in the Program for the Study of Women and Gender at Smith College and a contributing editor for Ms. Magazine. Carrie Baker, welcome to This is Critical. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but among the feminists I know, and possibly even you and me, there's a certain kind of end times mania now that we have this frontal, full frontal challenge to Roe versus Wade. Um, It's as though it's the thing we have been dreading and waiting for and mobilizing for, and now it's here. And no one is telling us that our fears are unjustified anymore. And that's that's cold comfort, but there's something in it that, you know, fills me at least with adrenaline. We were right. Yeah. (laughs) I wish we weren't, but we are. (laughs) So walk me through last week's arguments. What did you find most stunning or surprising in the news from the Supreme Court? Yeah. Well, I listened to the hearings actually with my students and I found it so appalling, the callousness of the justices that are so clearly determined to overturn Roe. And not only do they want to overturn Roe, but they want to pretend that they are neutral arbiters. And a perfect example of this is Brett Kavanaugh's comments about, let's just be neutral on the issue of abortion by overturning women's constitutional right to abortion. That's not neutral. That's 
for the first time, removing a constitutional right from a significant portion of the population. Yet, you know, they want to give themselves the credit for being neutral. Amy Coney Barrett's comment about, well, women can just give their children up for adoption. So, you know, it won't have a a negative impact on their ability to participate in society. The kind of callousness that that represents to me was truly appalling. And just bad faith. She was very dismissive of, uh, I think she described the impact on um, women's lives of nine-month carrying of a baby plus a year of raising them as having maybe costs for their career choices. Yeah. Um, as though, you know, this is something about deciding whether you want to be CMO or COO and you, it needs to be briefly delayed until you can pump enough breast milk to get into the office. Obviously, these aren't the decisions we're talking about. We're talking about a life crisis, even in women who want to have children. Um, yeah. The woman, the citizen who the Constitution is meant to protect, was almost absent from mm-hmm. the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the problem with that undue burden standard that uh, Casey established in 1992 is that, you know, it's people like Amy Coney Barrett, wealthy women who have plenty of child care and supportive infrastructure who can pursue an ambitious career and have children, um, you know, it's from the perspective of the guys on the court who have wives at home taking care of their children and their houses, you know, and they think, oh, it's not an undue burden on me to travel hundreds of miles to get to a clinic. So therefore, you know, this isn't violating your constitutional rights. And, you know, it's a very privileged position that justices are in to evaluate these laws that, you know, and determine whether these these restrictions burden women's access. But, you know, the women that are getting burdened by these laws are low-income women, women of color, women that die at much higher rates from maternal mortality because they live in states like Mississippi that has one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the country. And they don't, you know, they're they're centering their own experience, not the people whom these laws are going to actually harm. Yeah, I thought that it was interesting to see the dinner table conversation about abortion centers on the old questions of when life begins, you know, whether the mucous membranes of a woman's uterus um, are protected by the Constitution. But that conversation was not present, and I wonder if that's because that the argument doesn't withstand any kind of stress test. Um, and so they've sort of moved their argument to these even worse faith areas of would-be conflict. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I actually do think that the question of when life begin did come up in the argument. And I loved that Sotomayor said, isn't this really about religion and religious beliefs? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she kind of called them out on that. And I to me, religion is the elephant in the room. Uh-huh. It is so uh, determinative, just like it was in same-sex marriage. It's it's really, you know, what is fueling people that oppose um, people's sexual rights. But then, you know, it gets framed in other in other terms. But to me, um, 
when life begins is a religious belief and mm. the Supreme Court shouldn't be adopting a particular religious belief about when life begins when religions are all over the map. That came up in the conversation between Sotomayor and the um, Mississippi Attorney General. Yeah. And, you know, he, he and some of the conservative judges on the court tried to say, well, there can be non-religious people who believe life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. Again, trying to sort of avoid what's really at stake. You know, do we allow one particular religious perspective to rule the lives of everybody in the United States, yeah. even if they don't believe in those that perspective. I think the reason that I said this when life begins argument, it has also sort of been muted, is that the conversation right now is about this 15-week deadline um, mm. in, in Mississippi law that now bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. We're just in this completely arbitrary territory that the liberal judges would tell you is, you know, a bunch of smoke and mirrors to smuggle in restrictions on female bodily autonomy, taking away the right to life, liberty, and happiness in the extre- in, in, in the extreme from half the population. Yeah. That's on the left. On the right would say that that, that is a set of superstitious beliefs, that feminism itself is some kind of religion that is influencing the neutrality of some of the justices. I don't know. I don't know how you picked it apart when you were, when you were listening to it, especially where, where constitutional law is concerned. I mean, to have these superstitions on the right floating around, it just, I wanted to bat it all away. It was just uncanny and an insult to the brain. It was clear to me from the oral arguments that five justices on the court wanted to entirely get rid of Roe versus Wade. So what was it in the justices' questions, the conservative justices' questions, that made you think that this is really, we're getting to a kind of end game where they're really expressing their commitment to overturning Roe? Actually, what it was was that they didn't listen to the party's arguments. They they would ask the same question over and over as if the, the attorneys hadn't answered the question and the attorneys would answer the question and then they'd ask the same question again. It was very clear to me that they weren't listening. But the other thing is the kinds of questions they were asking. Thomas kept on saying, so where is that right to abortion in the Constitution? Is it privacy? Is it autonomy? You know, and and the attorney would say, it's liberty. It's the 14th Amendment, the word liberty. And then, you know, he'd ask the same question again. You know, with Amy Coney Barrett, it was her comments about how, well, having a child, an unwanted childbirth isn't all that burdensome, right? The world's changed. Women now, you know, um, can just give their, we have these safe haven laws. I mean, they basically gave their reasons as to why they mm-hmm. were going to overturn Roe. And then, of course, Kavanaugh was saying, well, it's, we really should be neutral on this issue. I mean, I just heard one after the other of them saying why they thought Roe was wrongly decided, why they were justified in overturning Roe. And when I thought the attorneys made very strong arguments, it was clear to me they didn't hear those arguments. You know, I think the only possibility is Roberts maybe is open to not going all the way to overturning Roe, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because he's the sixth vote and they only need five Mm -hmm. to overturn Mm Roe. So that's why I'm skeptical that we're going to get anything other than um, certainly upholding the Mississippi law, but I think probably um, jettisoning Roe altogether. Yeah. That's what they were put there for. I mean, Trump was very explicit, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Republican Party has been working on this for decades to get exactly what we have now, and they've got it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how if Rose overturned that it'll it'll hurt certain populations disproportionately. Tell me about that. Who's who's hurt most if Roe is overturned? Let's just take Mississippi, where the case is coming from. Right, this is a 15 week ban in Mississippi. Mississippi has the highest maternal mortality rate in the country. Hmm. And rather than addressing maternal mortality, they're trying to figure out ways to force more and more women to have to be pregnant and give birth. And that is going to raise the maternal mortality rate. So when we think about who's going to be hit hardest, you know, it's women without resources to travel hundreds of miles to get to the Northeast to get an abortion and pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, by the way, when we're thinking about the consequences of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I think there are also consequences um, more broadly for women's lives. There's a study Um, It's called the Turnaway Study, done by um, researchers at University of San Francisco that tracked women denied abortions and the impact of that abortion denial on their lives. And what Hmm. they found was is that women who were denied abortion, first of all, there are health consequences. They're more likely to have negative health consequences. They're economic consequences. They're more likely to be living in poverty. Their existing children are more likely to have developmental delays and to Hmm. grow up in poverty. They're really devastating consequences for women's lives when they're denied abortion. And then the final consequence, I would say, is for the Supreme Court itself. Hmm. I think that the Supreme Court, whatever legitimacy it still has, I think it will lose. I think it will be seen as an entirely political institution that doesn't Mm -hmm. follow its own precedences. I think there's consequences for the rule of law. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I now worry about other decisions that the court has made, Mm -hmm. like the Obergefell decision that legalized Mm -hmm. same-sex marriage, Mm -hmm. the Lawrence decision that legalized adult consensual sex in the privacy of your own home, Mm -hmm. right? That was about sodomy laws. I worry about contraception itself. Our collective sex lives are going to have consequences, right? Because people won't be able, if abortion's not legal, people will be worried about having sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that will erode relationships. It will, um, it will be bad for men too, by mm-hmm. the way, because we like to pretend that there are no consequences for men resulting from unwanted pregnancies, but there are. Mm-hmm. There are. They mm-hmm. become fathers when they don't want to be fathers. And a lot of times they have to pay childcare for many years. And the idea that two men, Thomas and Kavanaugh, who have been credibly accused of sexual assault and harassment of women, get to determine women's constitutional rights is absolutely appalling to me, as certainly as a feminist, but really just as a person. Why do they, they'll never be pregnant, they'll never experience sex discrimination, Mm -hmm. but they get to determine whether I have constitutional rights, and they get to determine, they get to take away my constitutional rights that I've had most of my life. Coming up after the break, what if you didn't need to go to a clinic to get an abortion? Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to This is Critical. We're talking today about the Supreme Court's abortion cases. My guest is Carrie Baker, a professor in the program for the study of women and gender at Smith College and a contributing editor for Ms. Magazine. How in the world did abortion, which I, you know, kind of having had one, it's a 20-minute, in my case, sometimes a little longer, procedure that um, is one of the oldest medical procedures in the world. Hippocrates talked about it. So, you know, ever since modern medicine has been able to give names to different procedures, this has been one of them. It's so small. I don't know. Somehow there's the tininess of the procedure, the single organ in the abdomens of half the population of this country that, you know, have what something like three inches of mucous membranes in the endometrial lining that is being washed away. This That's all we're talking about, a kind of uterine emptying, uterine cleansing. Mm-hmm. And and for that to become the hill that everybody wants to die on is just mysterious to me. Well, I think it's all about sexuality. I think conservatives are very uncomfortable with sexuality and women's sexuality in particular. They believe that if a woman is going to have sex, then she has to take the consequences of sex, which is motherhood. Yeah. I think they're uncomfortable with the idea of separating sex from motherhood. I mean, certainly that's the Catholic position, right? You should only have sex for procreation. Mm-hmm. And you know, that there's no legitimate reason to have sex unless you're trying to get pregnant. That Mm -hmm. is the official Catholic Church's position. So, you know, it's very much tied into ideas about, um, you know, womanhood and sexuality and women's roles more generally. I think it very much Mm -hmm. is about power. I think if women are reproductively empowered, then they can compete equally with men in the workplace, Mm -hmm. and men find that very threatening. It's a much easier world to succeed in if there's only half the competition. Yes. I mean— that that gets at what Amy Coney Barrett said about this is about career choices. That's, in a way, a dog whistle to men on the court. She just frustrates me because, <laughs> you know, now the guys have deniability. Now they can mm-hmm. say, well, it's she's doing it, so I'm doing it too. I'm not being sexist by taking mm-hmm. away women's rights because, look, she's doing it too. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a series once for Ms. called The Female Face of Men's Misogyny. Hmm. And it was the ways in which men get women to do their dirty work so that they can claim they're not sexist. Mm. We saw this in the Kavanaugh hearings when the Republicans um, hired that woman to cross-examine Christine uh, Blasey Ford. Yeah. And, you know, I think her name was Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's, you know, they know the optics are really bad if it's a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking away women's rights. And so they're just delighted to have Amy Coney Barrett to do their dirty work for them. And it's quite appalling. Tell me about at-home abortions or abortions that women can perform and enact on each other and on themselves. Absolutely. Well, we're in a very different world today than we were before Roe versus Wade because of an invention that came about in the late 80s in France. It was called Mifepristone. It was a pill. And what the pill does is it interferes with progesterone, which is the hormone that maintains a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. It 
basically blocks the receptors for progesterone. So what happens is the uterus, the lining of the uterus where the pregnancy is embedded, um, the, you know, the embryo is embedded, begins to shed. Mm -hmm. And then you take a subsequent pill, which is a very common medication called misoprostol, and that contracts the uterus and you expel the contents. Mm -hmm. This is a very simple two medication uh, procedure, Mm -hmm. and um, it's called the abortion pill. And it is uh, was approved by the FDA in 2000. And at the time they approved it, because of anti-abortion pressure, they put it under a lot of restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, restrictions that basically said, well, a doctor who's on a list with the manufacturer can d- directly distribute the pill to the pregnant person mm-hmm. in the doctor's office, but they have to stock the pill and distribute it directly and hmm. warned her about it. And that's where we've been ever since then. It, it's it's legal in the first 10 weeks. Um, it was seven weeks initially and then expanded to 10 weeks in 2016. Mm-hmm. But it's highly, highly restricted. Mm-hmm. You can only go to certain doctors who are on these lists. Mm-hmm. And so very few doctors provide it. Mm-hmm. But What's happened is, is that people began to realize that this is a really safe, easy medication and that they can just order it themselves online. Mm-hmm. And so more and more women are ordering abortion pills online and taking them at home, which they would do anyway, because mm-hmm. you can take, even if you get it from a doctor, you take it at home mm-hmm. and go through this process of shedding the pregnancy. The abortion pills are safer than Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Actually, they're safer than shellfish, if you can believe it. Wow. It's extremely safe. And they're much safer than things like Viagra, which mm-hmm. are handed out like candy, and you can get at any pharmacy. But in part, because of these restrictions, like what's happening in Texas, women are beginning to find out about it, mm-hmm. and they're beginning to order it and mm-hmm. use it. And what's brilliant about the abortion pill is you don't have to cross the lines of protesters. You don't have to put your feet up in stirrups. You don't have to beg from this doctor to Mm -hmm. get the pill. You don't have to go through tests, ultrasounds and blood tests and all the other things. Take a whole day off from work, Mm -hmm. travel long, long distances to get to clinics. Mm -hmm. You can just order it on your phone. It'll show up in your mailbox in a day or two. You take it when it's convenient and you move on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the anti-abortion movement has done all that it can to mystify abortion, to make it sound difficult and dangerous and traumatizing. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't have to be. That's completely a social construction. Mm -hmm. And I think that as women realize that abortion pills are available and Mm -hmm. that they're cheap and accessible and can be delivered directly to their houses, that more and more women will keep them in their medicine cabinets just in case. What's strange about it is that it really recenters the conversation. You know, I pass regularly a sign, an anti-abortion sign, that shows a picture of a six-month-old child. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about. How we yeah. even came close to letting the system of metaphors or language around abortion be described that way is completely absurd. So what you're doing in describing mifepristone and mesoprostol, which people call meso, is just taking back the ease and safety of this procedure and also the role, entirely the role of women in making decisions about their uteruses. 
Absolutely. You know, some doctors are prescribing abortion pills as missed period pills. They're not even requiring pregnancy tests. They're like, oh, is your period late? Has it been a month? Okay, here, take this pill and it will come back. And and actually, um, you know, 100 years ago, people talked about menstrual extraction. Menstrual extraction huh. meant you're not menstruating. We need to extract it from the uterus. Yes. And there were treatments for menstrual extraction. And that's that's basically what abortion pills are. I, as a matter of fact, I even maybe we should rename them as, you know, missed period pills. And the thing is, this is not just semantics. This is if women talked about, entirely talked about their periods, and there was nothing about what Brett Kavanaugh thinks it is. This is what it would sound like. Absolutely. And the world that I envision is that we have um, these pills available in vending machines and on over-the-counter, you know, next to the Tylenol. You get yeah. a Tylenol, you get some Mifepristone, you get, you know, that it's very normalized, accessible, affordable, you know, I mean, I think that if we lived in a world, this is a joke I always say, if we lived in a world where men could get pregnant, abortion pills would be available in a gumball machine and bacon flavored. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I just think we need them to be available to people that need them. There should never be anybody that has an unwanted preg that's forced to go through with an unwanted pregnancy. I think that's absolutely right. So you're talking about mifepristone, and you mentioned the other half of this equation, that in a perfect world, you take mifepristone and this mesoprostol. Right. Um, feminist organizations and health organizations in developing countries know that mifepristone is slightly less available and more regulated than mesoprostol, which, as I said, people call Mizo, I just feel like the horse is out of the barn with Mizo. Yes. I, I, I'm glad it does not fall to me to be DEA to the control of mesoprostol, which is already approved, as you said, for ulcer treatments and is distributed around the world in developing nations that certainly can't afford forced pregnancies. So meso, it's always important, I think, when we're talking about that, to talk about the history. Yeah, please. It was first used by women in Brazil. Abortion was illegal in Brazil, but women in Brazil noticed on the bottle of meso was a warning, do not take if you're pregnant, yes. can cause miscarriages. So women began to take it when they wanted to end a pregnancy. And the maternal death rate from illegal abortion dropped precipitously. And health authorities noticed this and they're like, what's going on? And what it was, was women had discovered that miso was an effective and safe and easy way to end an early pregnancy and began to take it. And as opposed to mifepristone, miso is really cheap. Yes. Like you can get it for a dollar a pill. And by the way, um, veterinarians subscribe it all the time for dogs, for arthritis <laughs> and ulcers and other conditions. Um, you know, they're, it's prescribed frequently, um, you know, through pharmacies for all kinds of medical conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's much more accessible. And it's a little less effective than the combination pill. But I saw a recent study that still shows that it's over 90% effective. Coming up after the break, how to take the fate of abortion out of the hands of the court. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! 
It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway. And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to This is Critical. Today we're talking about abortion with Carrie Baker. Carrie's a professor at Smith College and a contributing editor for Ms. Magazine. Before the break, we were talking about the common drug misoprostol, which people are getting by prescription and ordering online from out of state or abroad. These pills are used for self-managed abortions, which Baker praises as an alternative to clinical abortions. How amazing that this is something women discovered. It's just, I agree. It just all of it, and and even the mention that um, that midwife networks, midwifery networks, which are already in place, doula networks already in place, or even just groups of friends that you know. In my case, I called a close friend who's a neighbor to walk me over to the clinic. There's some recovery. There's a very very heavy period. Um, nothing that most women haven't seen before, but. Um, but, you know, it's something you need some guidance for. And that in the case of this Brazil, that it was those networks that let out there that there was a new off-label, you say, for this ulcer medication for evacuating the uterus, for restarting the period that was very effective. Um, and all of this happens without the permission yes. of men. And yes. that's why I'm just tired of petitioning Clarence Thomas and listening to the sophistry and the mm-hmm. strange arguments about this and that that are religious in nature and might as well be questions about an- angels dancing on the head of a pin for all I know. And instead, just ta- women talking about their periods with each other and finding our own solutions. Absolutely. And I think it really gets the anti-abortion movement mad because mm. we can do it on our at home in our privacy of our own home, and they have no opportunity to scream at us and call us terrible names and threaten us. And, you know, I mean, they have tried to sort of um, confine abortion to fewer and fewer clinics and then concentrated more and more violent misogynist behavior around those clinics to try to intimidate and just quite frankly, plainly block women's access to reproductive health care. There's an organization called Aid Access, where you can go online, fill out a form. She'll The doctor will review the form. If you're eligible for it, she'll mail it to you. You'll get it in a few days. And you can buy it for like $105, but it's a sliding scale. So if you can't afford mm-hmm. it, it's free. You know, there's more and more organizations in the United States that are providing telemedicine abortion, which is, again, where you don't have to cross uh, picket lines and go to a physical clinic. You can literally just do it on your phone, Mm -hmm. or you can do it on video conference if you want. Mm -hmm. There's a virtual abortion clinic called Abortion on Demand, Hmm. run by Dr. Jamie Pfeiffer. And you just go online, you fill out an online form, and she'll 
text you or email you saying medications in the mail within a couple days you'll get your medication if you have any questions you can text her or even call her and she's providing this service to women in 20 states now and is looking wow. to expand um, now of course the states that are wanting to ban abortion are trying to eliminate medication abortion as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And so women living in those states, if Roe falls, that ban abortion will also have trouble getting, you know, uh, uh, telemedicine abortion services mm -hmm. from doctors. Mm -hmm. But aid access will always exist. And the woman, uh, Rebecca Gompers, who runs aid access, is located outside the country. Mm -hmm. She's not worried mm -hmm. about getting arrested by people in Texas. Then she will always mail those pills to you. I don't know if you saw this, as the, the NHS in England, the National Health Services, all through the pandemic, yes. only did telemedicine medical abortions. Yes. So, you know, that that is an interesting way that it forced a kind of innovation. Um, and so have the developing nations um, facing anti-abortion laws forced this innovation. Absolutely. So in England, when that happened, they did a research study on what happened when all of a sudden abortion was entirely done remotely by telemedicine. And they found that, first of all, it was extremely safe, mm -hmm. just as safe as if you went into a clinic. It was extremely effective mm -hmm. and that women loved it that yes. the satisfaction level was fine, that yes. they were completely able to um, do this. And if they had a problem, they could call their doctor, but most of them didn't. And that was the first broad-scale nationwide study of, of the effectiveness and safety of telemedicine abortion. And the research shows that it, it it's a completely um, doable model. Yeah. And this is wonderful because right now the FDA is considering lifting the restrictions on mifepristone. And actually, the decision is due on December 16th. So hmm. keep your eyes open. And the hope is that they will make the, um, you know, so during the pandemic, the restrictions on mifepristone were lifted. Um, the Trump administration tried to block this, but a court in Maryland required the lifting of the in-person distribution restriction on mifepristone because what the court said is that's an undue burden during a pandemic to require women to go in person to receive the pill and that when they could just as easily receive it by mail. So we've had that now for quite a while since April of this year. And that's when all these virtual abortion clinics popped up and people began to realize how easy and quick and convenient abortion can be. And I think my hope is that the FDA will take like the research that happened in England that this is safe and effective and consider that and lift the restrictions that are currently on mifepristone so that anybody can get it through a pharmacy and telemedicine abortion can be the, the primary way that people gain access to abortion because I think that will really, um, that's a game changer in my mind. Lest we start sounding like the Sacklers flogging Oxycontin, um, <laughs> I I want to be sure that we that we at least flag any potential challenges to people with with meso or mifepristone or the abortion pill in any form. There is a period where you are uh, experiencing a heavy period that is can be uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. It can be a difficult few days. Yeah. 
By the way, in many countries, they're available over the counter. People in Texas can just go right over the border into Mexico mm-hmm. and buy miso on the shelf. And and that's probably something that we need to work for here in the United States. Yeah. There's a big campaign to free the pill, which is to make the birth control pill available over the counter. Yeah. I think we should argue for misoprostol over the counter. Yeah. And, and and again, it would be very cheap. Think about $12. You need 12 pills, a dollar each, $12 abortion in your pharmacy. Yeah. I mean, it just, you, you think how early, you know, we have a lot of later abortions in the United States because of all the red tape and mm-hmm. obstacles and long distances and money people have to raise to get abortion. If every pharmacy had misoprostol on the, mm-hmm. uh, over the counter, think of the, burden lifted off women's shoulders mm-hmm. and the trauma that would be gone, you know, that that all these barriers to abortion cause. Yeah. So I think that we, um, you know, we need to push for these things. It is our right, right? It is our right to have these it, medications. Right. But women should have options. They should be able to go and get a procedural abortion if they want. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about this as like, this is the solution or this is, you know, ideal. It's not ideal. We don't live in an ideal world. We live in a misogynist world that doesn't want women to have control over their bodies. Yeah. But it's t- what I'm glad for is that we have this option. This is great, Carrie. Thank you so much for being here and providing um, some hope and an alternate framework for thinking about abortion um, in this, you know, kind of difficult time for, for women's rights. Absolutely. And my pleasure. Thank you for speaking out about it as well. If this conversation has left you with any questions about abortion pills, including their legal or safety risks, Baker recommends checking out plancpills.org. That's P-L-A-N-C-P-I-L-L-S dot org. We should note that states are moving to restrict access to abortion pills already. For instance, Texas just enacted a law that adds penalties of fines and even jail time for anyone prescribing these pills or sending them in the mail. For more information on the potential legal challenges, there's ifwhenhow.org. Coming up next week... What's with all the fuss about Miss America? Instead of maybe representing everything we need to know about what it means to be a woman in America, maybe it's just the subset of people who find it interesting, who take their values and their, you know, fortunes from the institution. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay critical. Stitcher. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.